take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, as you are turning there, uh, I want to uh, make sort of a, a couple of housekeeping announcements as, uh, as we are moving towards May. Uh, this, this will be the last uh, Sunday with the tape up. So uh, in May, as we turn the page, some of you are, are cheering, some of you are groaning, and either way is understood. Um, if, uh, I would say, if, if you are still not comfortable with uh, the tape down and, and you're still not ready to, uh, to get shoulder to shoulder, our first service at 9 o'clock has, has a lot of space for you to be in there and be comfortable. Uh, I can safely say that our first service, you can sit at a distance from people and be just fine. But the truth is, if you look around here in the second service, that's not always this, this way in the second service, but there's room to spread out. And so I uh, wanted to let you know that as we are making our way towards May. And then next Sunday is also, uh, we will honor Brother Dusty and Miss Patsy in their retirement as they uh, are one year removed from that retirement. But we are honored uh, to be able to, to get in here next Sunday and, uh, and honor them as they've served Lindsay Lane and served the Lord for so long. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Amen. We're looking forward to uh, honoring them well. And, uh, and just so you know, in both of those services, both of those services are the same but they're a little different so that Brother Dusty and Miss Patsy are not going through the same thing in both services, but they're the same, so you don't have to change services thinking that one will be the actual one. No, they'll, they'll both be, uh, both services are going to honor uh, Brother Dusty and, and the retirement there. And that's biblical, by the way, is, is to honor the, the man of God that has served for so long. And so uh, we look forward to doing that. That's next Sunday. And uh, Greg's going to give some announcements at the end, and, and just so you know as well, we, we also know that the times we live in, if things change um, and, and we have to take a step back, that's what we'll do. We at least know what to do now, uh, so we would put tapes, tape back up, and we'll talk about masks and those things, uh, but we just wanted to let you know how we're doing uh, moving forward. We are keeping two services, though, for those that want to uh, continue to spread out. So uh, all of that to say. Uh, we, we are glad that you're here this morning, and we look forward to having you back every time the doors are open, and we are thinking about you being here. So again, First, uh, first Peter is where we're going to be in the Scripture today as we close out our sermon series called Better Than Good, and we are focusing on the holiness of God, and today we're focusing on God's holiness and our lifestyle. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we believe that we are right with God, what does that mean for our lifestyle, and what does the Bible teach us that it means? And I can absolutely tell you on the front today that if we are in Christ and we are right with God, then we have a responsibility to be holy, as we'll see in the Scripture. For the Christian, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, leading up to the verses that we'll cover, what the Bible teaches today is that there is an upcoming inheritance. There, there is a, a something for us in the future that is not ours because we've earned it, but it's ours because we have a relationship with the one that would give it. And so think about that as we think about what being holy means. We want you to know that this inheritance is coming because God is good. This inheritance is coming because God involves himself with his creation and he's made a way on his terms for us to be right with him. And if we are right with God, as plain as I can make it, we get heaven. Now, if that don't impress y'all, y'all been in church too long. Because we are right with God, we will have eternal life. Eternal life, right with God, fellowship with God. We're talking about heaven, not hell. God saved us from that, and the church said amen. Now, that's, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's the inheritance 
that God has promised to us and has made a way for us to have those who have turned from themselves and turned to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this inheritance that he's going to give is not money because money will burn up. Some of us know that well as we burn through it. Amen? This inheritance is not something that is physical as a treasure that will fade away. But this inheritance is, is a God-sized inheritance. It is eternal. It is right relationship, fellowship, heaven. And this inheritance, as the Scripture tells us in 1 Peter, will not depreciate. There are no hidden fees or taxes with this inheritance. It's all been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. This inheritance is beyond the reach of change or decay, which means you cannot lose it because God maintains it. This is what the Bible teaches about this inheritance. And as I think about the inheritance that God would give and promise to us who are not deserving, God must really love his children, y'all. And this is why we sing. This is why our kids lift their voices to the one true God. But as I said to begin with, this inheritance comes with a responsibility. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, it tells the Christian that because we have a great expectation because there is a wonderful joy, because there is even a reward, and it's okay to say that, because there is a reward for trusting Jesus. It also tells us because there is all of that, you must be holy because I'm holy. That we are to represent the one that gave it. Basically what I'm saying is, we are not to be holy to be the beneficiary, we are to be holy to represent the benefactor. The one that gives it. The one who has freely given it to us in all of his holiness and all of his goodness you see holiness and the call to holiness is not just a call to live right in fact it's much more than that because as we have learned a call to holiness is a call to be all that god is holiness is the base characteristic of god so every characteristic of god is based on that one intrinsic characteristic of his perfect nature which is holiness therefore and when God says, for us to be holy as he is holy, it's to be all of it, y'all. To be all of it. Well, what does that mean? It means we are to be merciful towards the needs of people. Physical and spiritual needs. We are not look to look upon people as they can do better for themselves. And turn up our nose and prejudge people that they've already lost it and drove it in the ditch. We are to be merciful as God's word leads us to be merciful as that is a characteristic of his holiness. Both physical and spiritual needs matter to God. We are, are to be just and fair in all of our dealings. We're to do what's right, the Bible teaches us. It means defining things as we see in the world and in the culture. We're to define them and label them as God does in his word. That's, that's by his truth. God is truth because he's holy. And we've learned in recent weeks, this is really important, we've learned in recent weeks that the holiness of God means that he is set apart in his holiness, but he is also involved in his creation because of his character. So he is both set apart and involved. Therefore, the church and the people that make up the church must be set apart and involved, both of those things. Set apart is his transcendence. His involvement is called his eminence. God is not removed or uninterested in the world. But he is also not a part of the world in the sense that he takes on the world's characteristics. Now let's speak on this as we talk about living holy in the world. The Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world. 
The Bible says do not be conformed to the world. The Bible says do not be a friend with the world. The Bible says that we are temporary residents. So what is repeated is important. And all throughout Scripture you're going to see because God is holy that His people are to be set apart in how they go about this thing called living. The Bible is clear with these commands that our lifestyle is not to reflect the culture of the world. It is supposed to reflect the truth of the Word. Now... What that means is, is that we are to be Christians in a culture, not cultural Christians. If you are a cultural Christian and you're in church and check the box because that's what you do, you need to revisit of whether or not the God Spirit is inside of you, drawing you, leading you, convicting you. And you really have to take a look at that. And where we live, we have to be careful about that. Because there are many stories that we've heard throughout the years that when I grew up in church, I walked forward because somebody else did. Now I'm back here because it makes sense to me. If that's you, then glory to God and amen because you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But just know that because we do live in a Christian culture still, that sometimes you can give way to a Christian culture instead of following Christ. That's two different things. So as followers of Jesus, the Bible's clear that we are, we're to be set apart. Let me just pray for us. Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would guide us into all truth. Convict us of our sin and of your righteousness. Lord, may we be here on purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. As followers of Jesus, we are to be set apart in what? Set apart in how we respond. Set apart in, in how we deal with issues. We are to be set apart in how we hang out. We are to be set apart in how we work, how we go to work, how we make decisions, how we treat people. We are to be set apart as God is set apart and that he deals with people and deals with issues based on truth, not on feeling or emotion or culture. But remember, the balance to God's transcendence is God's eminence. God is not so set apart that he does not involve himself with other people and involve himself with the world. This means that while his holiness sets him apart, his eminence is what makes him involved. Let me ask you, which characteristic do you need more of today? That's the first question, the first takeaway. Do you need more of the truth that you need to be more separate from the world because the world is getting to you? The culture is starting to guide and lead how you do life rather than the truth of God. Do you need more of that in your life today as that, uh, that reminder that we are set apart from the world, that we are not uh, governed on how we live according to the culture? Or do we need the reminder that God himself was involved with the world? If, if you desire for the sake of holiness to distance yourself and your family from this world, amen, as we all need that reminder at all different kinds of times in our life, and if you need that reminder today, then take it with you. However, let me warn you, you can lock yourself away from the world and still have the desires of the world going on in your heart. You can separate yourselves all you want to. But the desires of the, of the flesh and of the world can still be right there with you. But there are times when we all need this reminder, y'all. We are not of this world. We don't represent this world. We are, are foreigners, according to the Scripture. But while there is, is certain precedence for biblical distance in our life from this world, you must also answer the question, because of the eminence of God and the Great Commission, how are you going to reach the world when you are apart from it? Let me ask you a question. Do y'all know any lost people? I'm serious. 
Do you know any lost people? Are you involving yourself with lost people? Is there anybody in your life, in your scope of influence, there's a question mark above their head, you're not sure whether or not they're saved or not? The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Among them. So, so what we're saying today is that the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. Christians, we're not to create our own islands and live on it. Yes, 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 separate from the world, but we are to be imminent like God in that we are involved into the world and to the point that we live in this world and we light it up. But we don't love it. You see, that's two different things. It's going to be hard to reach the world if you're only trying to visit your family in Christian environments all the time. I'm I'm telling you, if I don't preach this, we've preached half of it. So which of it, which is it for you? Do you need more truth that you and your family need to be a healthy, holy distance from the world? Or do you need the truth that we're not living in in close proximity to anybody that's lost that we know of? So so really, we're not going to fulfill the great commission of making disciples and baptizing them because we don't know anybody or have any gospel conversations with anybody because we don't know if they're lost or not. It's both and. you got to have them both because that's the holiness of God. He is set apart, but he is involved. Involved to what point? Jesus hung out on purpose with sinners. His influence was never compromised as he knew exactly what the truth was and he was over that and had influence over every circle, every group that he was a part of. Went home with Zacchaeus. Went home with him. You've got to answer the question, church, as we represent the holiness of God. Yes, there is set-apart separateness because of holiness. But there is certain involvement for the sake of reaching others with the good news that God saves. He still saves. And there are people that need to be saved. And people reach people. God's church is plan A to go here, there, and everywhere and to be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, there's times where we separate so that culture does not influence. But there's also times when you know the gospel and you got the Holy Spirit of God in you, you're going to charge the culture and let them know you're coming. That's, that's it. It's both and. So which do you need to take away with you today? Now to our text, what we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 1. As the inheritance is ahead and our benefactor is holy, we have a responsibility to be holy. And, and truly, the Scripture is going to set us up within this responsibility to show us how it works. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Now let's walk through this verse by verse. Verse 13, the Bible says, So prepare your minds for action. So prepare your minds for action. As you are living in a world and a culture that is not godly, we are to prepare our mind to engage this culture and at the end of the day be holy as God is holy. 
our minds. Think about this. Holiness starts in your head. Holiness starts in our heads. Prepare our minds. The actual word picture of prepare our minds when you study it, it gives the picture of men wearing robes that are moving to somewhere urgent. And in order to do that the way that they're supposed to, they have to take the bottom of that robe, bring it up, and tuck it into their belt. Basically what I'm saying is is they move anything that's in the way or move away from anything that is going to trip them up or cause them not to get to where they're supposed to go. So if, if we are looking towards holiness in our life as God is bringing this out of it in us through His Spirit, what is it that needs to move or you need to move away from? If we are struggling with how we're talking to people, if we're struggling with our mouth and our mouth holds us up from becoming holy, if we are struggling with what we're we're doing when no one is watching if we're struggling with what we're doing when no one is watching if we are in this world and we're having a really hard time of knowing how to react within what we see in the world and we find ourselves just angry all the time sometimes we're mad we don't even know why we're mad we walked out into the community just daring somebody to hold a phone up and video us doing something we're gonna knock somebody out we've already decided on that if, if these things are real in your life let me ask you a question what are you putting in your head? What are you putting in your head? What are you watching all day long? What are you reading all day long? Is what you're feeling being drawn out by the Spirit of God that agrees with the Word of God, or is it just how you feel? Holiness begins in, in our heads, in our minds, which is why the Bible says, so prepare your minds for action. Sometimes we're not able to move with what matters because we keep tripping up on what we allow to keep staying in the way. As one pastor said, and I love this, one pastor said, thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to strongholds. Some of us already face conviction when we hear that over our own sin. Our thought life leads to actions, which leads to habits, which leads to strongholds. But the reverse is also true. Thoughts lead to actions that lead to habits, that lead to strongholds that lead to holiness. The same is true in our thought life. It begins, holiness begins with our head and what we put in our minds. What are you reading? What are you watching? God convicts me of this during the week the same as I do. Is it more politics and entertainment or truth? I'm telling you, church, if we're not careful, we're going to claim we're on the right side of everything and we won't know the truth of God's word to back it up. That's a dangerous place to be. I'll tell you why I'm right. Why? What does it say in the Bible? I don't know. But I know I'm right. You've lost all credibility. What are you putting in your head? The second thing the scripture talks about is exercising self-control. Prepare your minds for actions and exercise self-control. This is a straight directive to be sober and morally and spiritually alert. Sober-minded, spiritually alert. Exercise self-control. Now, the New Living Translation of this develops the thought and uses the word exercise because it implies a steadfastness of holy conduct. One who is spiritually alert and spiritually alert all the time. In the 1100s, King David I of Scotland, he wanted to send a message of strength and of power, and so he began to build these castles that we see. He built these castles because he wanted to prove his authority, and some didn't like him and wanted to oppose his authority, and so they began to think of clever ways where they could compromise the castle. Clever ways to get across and get inside and begin to mess with things and take people down. And because of this, 
History teaches that the castle builders of King David I of Scotland continuously built up new, stronger, safer plans to defend. As much as they were being attacked, they were planning to defend. In fact, history teaches that those who followed him and followed these castle makers, they continued this for hundreds of years after his reign. Y'all, exercising self-control is a full-time job. It's not a one-time build. It's a every day you wake up, you're going to face the same people trying to break down that castle. The same war of the Spirit that's trying to break you down. And, and the reason that I use the illustration of a castle when it comes to self-control is because the Bible in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What does that mean? It means that anything and everything can get in, when what was strong and fortified is now weak because we've taken our hand off the wheel and everything and every, anything from the outside is now influencing it because the walls are down. Self-control and the exercise of self-control is an everyday grind. And it is a grind. Amen? Somebody say amen and agree because that's the truth. Self-control has to do with an attitude of spiritual sobriety. And the how-to of self-control is so much related to our first point of our mind. Preparing our minds for action. To feed the attitude of self-control, we have to put more holy in our heads. To feed the attitude of self-control. Y'all know what happens when I read an article in the morning about being a better pastor? You know what I want to be throughout the day? A better pastor. Because I have put truth, inspiring, encouraging, the way I need to go truth in my head. When I read God's word that calls me to the carpet, anybody after this that says, man, that's a good word, you step to my toes, I promise you, God's word gets to my toes before he gets to yours. And when I hear it and study it, I want to line up with it. Holy begins in our head. Self-control begins in our head. What are you putting in your mind? Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you between now and Wednesday night, when y'all come back to hear Wham perform, read God's word until you get here. Don't let it be that the next time you hear God's word is when we open it from this pulpit. Exercise self-control, active in the mind. It starts with holy in our head. Our hope is what the Bible brings out next. Our hope. Put all your hope, the Bible says, as we are thinking about being holy to represent God, put all your hope in gracious salvation. Fulfilling the responsibility of holiness may not be so much for some of us about overcoming sin. It truly may be about overcoming despair. That may be what holds us up from living out a life of holiness as, as, and hope as we are supposed to. Overcoming the, the overwhelming feeling of despair is overcoming that feeling that life has nothing else for me. That I'm Job in this, this grand scheme of things. Like there is no horizon. There are not better days in the forecast I don't see any of that happening for me. It's that overwhelming feeling, that daily fog, that as other people are passing me by and good things are happening, that's not going to happen for me. Sometimes it's a feeling, and sometimes it's a real season of life that people are enduring. And I like the King James Version of this verse. It says, hope to the end. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought upon you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Y'all, we need to understand that living without hope 
is just as much a misrepresentation of God's holiness as living in sin is. How we handle suffering, and I, I, I fear and tremble when I talk about suffering, but how we handle suffering is just as much a representation of God's holiness as it is how we overcome sin and how we live above it. God is eternal. Y'all, if you got God, you got eternal life. Like there's a, there's a future and there's a hope. It's that simple. It's that serious. It just don't feel like it right now. But God will make all things new, all things right. It's a future tense kind of living. And because you have eternal life, you can place hope in the end and to the end. The Bible says put your hope, fix your hope, rest your hope fully in the promises of God. Here's what that means. If you are suffering, you've got to live in the future. If you're suffering, you've got to put your hope in a place where it doesn't feel like it right now. You've got to live in the future and remember that there is purpose in suffering. God's holiness and His truth can often be more reflected in the world when we're going through bad times rather than good times. Man, and it doesn't bring me any pleasure to tell you that. But it is my responsibility just to share the truth of what is real and right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, the last half of that verse says, So when your faith remains strong... Through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So just hang on. Just hang on. I sent a message to a guy this week I know struggling. You know what I told him? I said, I, I didn't even send him any verses. I, I, didn't, I didn't press voice text and send him a prayer. I just told him, I said, hang on. It's better to be struggling than just quit. Don't quit. Because you've got a future and you've got a hope. As Stacy said at the beginning of the service, either now or in heaven, God's going to make it all right. And maybe you'd say today, I don't have this hope. Well, you can. You can. You can have this hope that is certain because real hope is without doubt. And God took any doubt away when he made a way for you to be right with him and have hope of heaven when he sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life to show you how to live, who died a real sacrificial death to cover your sins, and who really got up from that grave. And as Jesus got up from that grave, he took any doubt away that none of this was real. He validated every claim of the prophets all the way up to Jesus and even the word we preach now. Because Jesus is the living God, you will have eternal life. And you can bet on it and stand on it as you look to the future. Now, the Bible says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. This is interesting as we just had a number of children lead us in worship this morning. Y'all, that's what we did. They, they led us in worship this morning. I was, I was telling the first service, it's kind of weird because I was found in this place between like, Lord, I know I need to be singing and thinking about you right now, but I really just want to see my kids and take a picture of them, right? Like that's a weird thing. But, but that's what they were doing. They were leading us in worship. Ver, verse 14 says, You must live, as we think about the holiness of God, to represent the one that gives us this inheritance, you must live as God's obedient children. That word as means to the extent of or in the role of. In the role of an obedient child. To the extent of an obedient child. I want to ask you a very simple question that God put on this paper this week. Are you an obedient child of God or a child of God? Man, that'll preach, won't it? Are you a child of God or an obedient child of God? Because I ask that question because God's Word makes a distinction. 
He says, you must live as God's obedient children because obedient children bring much honor to their father. Obedient children is descriptive and motivation is descriptive in character, but it's also descriptive in level, like where God is and where we should be. Meaning, the Bible could have said, to preface holy living, the Bible could have said, we must live to the extent of dedicated adults. But it didn't, did it? Because adults think they know everything, <laughs> right? We get to this place where we're settled and can't be taught anything else we're not, if we're not careful. And so that's not, so God uses this intentional language. He did not say dedicated adults. He's using this language of obedient children. Obedient children. Think about what that means for us as we are striving to live holy before God. My children, when they leave church today, you know what? They're going to leave when we leave. Right? You know why our children are here today at church? Because we came to church. So this is where you go when we go there. After church is over today, our kids are more than welcome to tell us that they want to go to Taco Bell for the 890th time after church. In fact, we may even go there. But at the end of the day, they're subject to where we're going to take them. See, the reason why God's Word, I believe, wholeheartedly uses this language of obedient children is because He wants us to get that we, according to where He is and where we are, we're to be at this place of compliance and reliance when it comes to God. So this is why He says, on the way to holiness, you'll get there as obedient children, not even as dedicated adults. Here's something interesting. I read this from a Family psychologist this week said, Obedience on the part of a child to legitimate adult authority figures is an act of trust. To which the child trusts that said adult is always acting on their behalf, or their best interest, even when the child does not like what the adult has done or decided. Listen to this part. The child trusts, therefore the child obeys. The child trusts, Therefore, the child obeys. As we think about obedient children and what God wants us to be, the base sin found in Scripture, the Bible says that the, the world's sin is that it does not believe in me. That's what Jesus said. Basically saying that the reason that we act up and act out is because we doubt God's Word and we think ours is better. When we trust that God's way is better, that's when we'll become obedient children. Obedience is... Born of the Spirit. Look in the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 2. The Bible says that God the Father knew you, chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have cleansed and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Obedience is born of the Spirit. When we have turned from our sin and turned to God and genuinely believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are born again. That means we're born from above, born from heaven. God is in us, and we have the Spirit to be obedient in us. And as we are born in the Spirit, we are children of God. Y'all, the best advice I can give to every one of us today is let the Spirit of God have His way. Let God lead you as He is bringing out from the inside out the truth that aligns up with the Scripture. When He convicts you of wrong, He don't want to lead you back to it. He is convicting us. He's guiding us, providing the guardrails. This is who God is. This is who you are. Line up. As we are children of God, let God's Spirit lead. And then the Scripture says, verse 14, 
You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Man, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, is what the Bible says. Don't slip back. Living holy looks like distance from what God forgave you of. Not, not alongside of it. Living holy looks like a distance, a holy distance from what you've been forgiven of. Before you were called upon, or before you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, you answered every call from your flesh. That's, that's who we are. And when God's Spirit comes in, that flesh don't quit calling. In fact, it's going to continue now. In fact, when you get saved, you become dangerous. Spiritually dangerous. Because now you're in a position to make a difference in the lives of people around you for the glory of God. And when you do that, the enemy won't care for it. And the spirit, So while the enemy is warring against you and your flesh is warring against you, know that the Holy Spirit of God is fighting as well. Don't slip back. It has so much to do with our desires that continue to pull us away. And, and they're going to do that. And now the, the Spirit of God that's made us holy and set apart... The scripture says that God's spirit is working in us to give us the desire to do what pleases him. Therefore, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old, own desires. Now, I want to illustrate this point. Last year, before Brother Dusty moved out of his office, which is still weird, and any time that he comes in there, I almost like pop up like, hey, good to see you. Like, would you like to sit down? But before he moved out of his, his old office, I, I was in the counseling room back here at a desk, and the day was crazy because it's, it's 2020, right? And I forgot where I parked. And anyway, I got up and was going out the door. And anyway, this is what happened. This is what happened. All right, for those of you that are laughing, y'all be ashamed of yourself. The rest of y'all, they're like, oh, I appreciate y'all so much. Seriously, I forgot where I parked. I walked out and hit a slippery spot and fell straight to the floor. And, and our staff that have seen this, because I self-reported, which I will never do again. <laughs> never do that again. But our, our staff that saw this has been waiting a year to show this. Greg has made like, alternate videos that have music to it. But when, uh, when, when I saw this, I thought to myself, I'm going to save this, and the reason why is because this is the perfect picture of repentance. Is it not? As, as Scripture is talking about, don't slip back into your old ways. I'm moving towards an uncertain direction. I'm not paying attention, really. I step on that. I slip down. When you slip down, what comes with that is embarrassment. I mean, seriously, as we think about a funny picture... When we sin, and others know it, or we sin before God, what is there? There's shame. There's embarrassment. There's hurt. You know, I started walking like this a little bit. Really, I started walking like that just thinking if anybody saw me, I want them to feel bad for me, which is probably manipulative. <laughs> but, but as I get up and I, I move away, there's, there's shame, there's regret, there's hurt. 
And if you'll notice, the only saving grace of this video is that I did not continue on the same way. Right? The way that was made for me to get out of there was to turn and go a different direction. Why would we go back to that which will trip us up and cause shame, regret, and sin, and distance in our life? I mean, that is the picture of repentance. But y'all, we all struggle with this because that selfish, sinful desire is still warring within us. But God's Spirit is working on the inside of us to give us the desires to do what pleases God. That's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. We have to let God have His way. He's working. He is working in us. That is the truth of the Scriptures. Your desire are always going to draw you back to the place where you slipped before, thinking you won't slip again. Wednesday night, this was great. This was great. I had a, had a gentleman come up to me and tell me about, uh, he appreciated the message, but he also provided a thought. And, and we, we were talking about how a picture given in the Scripture of, of the Holy Spirit is, is water. And the scripture says of Jesus that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And we talked about the Holy Spirit of God being the, the picture of, of a river which flows and is active and is alive and it guides you down the direction where you're trying to go. And there's river banks which keep you in the water and flowing forward. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know what's tough is trying to swim against that current. It can be done, but it's a hard road to hoe. And this is often what we do. It's often what we do. And, and so God's Spirit, again, is, is leading us towards away from the old living and towards satisfying God's desires instead of our own. And we'll hang on to that thought of desires because that's where we're going with the rest of this paragraph. The Bible says in verse 15 and 16, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you, in verse 15, is holy. Verse 16, For the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. This command to be holy is not the command or the demand to never go anywhere or never do anything or to lock yourself away in legalism so that you don't have the chance to do anything. This command to be holy doesn't mean that you can't connect with a people or laugh at a joke. Like That's not what we're looking at here. This command has more to do with giving way to godly desire as it lines up with God's pattern for our life. We will never, ever be able to be completely representative of God's intrinsic nature of holiness, which is why God had to save us. That's why He sent Jesus. So, so what we're looking at here when the Bible says, just as God who chose you is holy, when I studied these verses this week, what I consistently found is not the rigid demand to be absolutely perfect. Now, don't you dare take away from this church today that you can give license to your sin by me saying that, first of all. Don't make a way for your sin. That's not what we're saying. Jesus had to die for that sin, right? But this is not the rigid demand to be absolutely perfect as God's intrinsic nature is perfection. The words, just as God who chose you is holy, refers to the pattern after the Holy One. Uh, we are following the pattern after the Holy One. Do you remember what it was like to trace on paper as a kid? When you, when you took a pencil and you traced over a logo or you traced over a graphic or whatever it is, or you were copying down answers to a test, whatever. Just kidding. Remember when you traced? Do you all remember that? 
I bet you as a child when you traced, you didn't do it perfectly, but here's the point today. I bet you wanted to. I bet you wanted to. It's about your desire. Do you want to? Has God changed your want to? Has God changed your desire about where you're going and how you want to get there? Because the Holy Spirit of God is not going to let you act any way you want and then claim that you're saved. Not going to happen. He will not do it. He always, he's going to convict us of the righteousness of God and he's going to convict us of our sin. And he convicts the world of our need for the righteousness of God. Therefore, the Spirit of God is not going to just say, man, one or twice is not going to hurt you. He's not going to do it, y'all. You can stop asking him. And truth is, we don't ask him because we know he's not going to. This is the reason why a lot of us avoid church at times. Because when we know we get there, the Spirit of God's going to be there agreeing with His Word, and He's going to get on to us. Anybody that went through college, say a big amen. Oh, really? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, you got it. <laughs> and this is, this is what God's Spirit does. Because whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. See, God's Spirit is, is giving us that line to follow, and He's working towards our desire to follow that line, but just as there was in the Old Testament system of the law, in the law was communicated God's intentions, communicated God's heart and His character, but also within that law was provisions of pardon. There was grace. There's grace. Some of us here today, we beat ourselves up. Because as much as we try, no, you need to know today that there's grace. Not grace to be taken advantage of, but you should know no matter what you've done in your life and how far you've gotten off the line, God's grace is sufficient to save you, to make you right. And this is the part I love that I've experienced in my own life, to keep on working on you. That's the part I think I love about God so much is that His grace and mercy continues, Spirit continues to pursue me even when I act a fool sometimes. Are y'all, not, are y'all thankful for God's Spirit pursuing you the day after you've blown it? Amen. Well, this is the grace that's available when you don't trace that line perfectly. Let me close with this. We begin this message by reminding ourselves of the inheritance. Remember that? The inheritance that was promised to us, to those who have turned from ourselves and turned to God and believed in Jesus. When there's repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we have the inheritance that is coming. There was a story of a rich man who made a, a fortune. And it was his own fortune. He was not married. He didn't have any kids. Didn't even have any close family to speak of. The ones that he knew of, he just knew of them. He had no relationship with them. And before he died, he had planned for what to do with his inheritance. And he took a phone book. And for those of you that are children or students, a phone book is this big yellow phone book that you open up and it's got everybody's numbers in it. But he took a phone book. No joke. This guy took a phone book, opened it up, closed his eyes, and in the presence of legal officials, pointed to two random names. At the end of his life, those two random names received his entire fortune. All of it. That's crazy, isn't it? Just real quickly, you should know that if you're hearing the gospel today, and, and God, God is, when it says it's chosen, yes, you're a part of that. If you're, you're hearing the good news, and you're chosen. You're hearing it. Believe it. Some of you may have some issue with those kinds of things. We can talk about that later. But as I see in the scripture, it is God's desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. If you're hearing the gospel today, you're eligible for redemption. Amen? 
I wonder, as, as, as he chose those, I often thought, I, said, I thought to myself, I wonder what those who received the inheritance felt about this man. That's what I want us to leave with today. I bet you they wanted to thank him. I bet you they told others about him. I bet that in their life they wanted to honor him. I bet that they took part of what was given to them and they dedicated that resources to service of his name. I, I, I bet you that they wanted to pay him back even though they couldn't. That was the desire of their heart. And that's what I hope we leave with today as we think about the holiness of God and being holy as God is holy God's Spirit is trying to draw that desire for holiness out of us to follow in the pattern of God. And you should know, as you are hearing this gospel today, the inheritance of heaven can be yours on God's terms. You've got to deal with your sin. And God's already dealt with it. He's already made a way for you to be forgiven. So if you want to know that you know that that inheritance will be yours and your families, come and talk to us. We have time, we're about to have a time, this invitation, we have pastors standing here at the front. This, this altar is open for you. If you want to come and, and deal with God on everything that, he, anything that he's dealt with you about. But I want you to stand to your feet just for a moment. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I, I want to, to lead you in this. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Whoso, so you're a whosoever. You're a whosoever. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So as we look, go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If you know you need to be saved, and you've been thinking about it, but today's the day, you are certainly welcome to come down this aisle, and we'll help you answer those questions. But, but this is for us in the pews, and even for those that are watching at home or watching online, the best way you know how, if the Bible says call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, the best way you know how from your heart to God's, admit you're a sinner and call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. And if you're saved, you need to be praying. If you've never called upon him before, if you've called on his name but you didn't fully realize what you were getting into, but you understand now and you desire a right and real relationship with God, would you entertain the thought of just calling on his name the best way you know how right now? I did a very similar thing years ago. I knelt beside my bed. And knowing that Jesus died for me and it would make me right with God, I called upon God to forgive me and save me and believed in Jesus. That's it. That's simple. That's serious. The thing I would ask you to do if you've called upon his name is just let us know. Not for the sake of numbers or data because you're not supposed to do this alone. Let us know.